have known you just about forever, and I have to say that some of your online postings recently have reminded me of that because I saw your son going to his first day of kindergarten. Yeah, that's true. Big big times happening in my household here. He looked a lot like you in the famous photograph of Pat and Ben at the kindergarten bus stop. Yeah, uh, he he's a chip off the old block. His hair's a little darker than yours was at that age, I think. Yeah. He he definitely does not have my toe head um, that I once had. Uh, <laughs> Any nosebleeds on the way to school? No, no nosebleeds on the way to school. He doesn't he doesn't feel the same amount of pressure that I did. <laughs> uh, at least I hope he doesn't. Um, no school buses in this town, in my town, though. Uh, so there will be no school bus photos for my son. Oh well, that's that's kind of a, a rite of passage. But I suppose it's it's good that d- d- does he walk to school? Yeah, we walk with him. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's a small little place. Um, so, yeah, it's good times here. Um, good times to be back here on the podcast as well. Yeah, we're going to open up a little box of childlike wonder in your pothole right now. Let's do it. Because this, of course, is Podventure Time, the podcast where Ben and Pat talk about Adventure Time. Pat's a super fan. I'm trying to get my best friend Ben to come along with me and become a fan of Adventure Time. And so, just like every week, we've watched two episodes. We're into season three now, and we're getting pretty far into it. We watched episodes five and six this week, and season five is called Too Young. Let's jump right in. We are picking up where the previous episode left off or one of the previous episodes yeah sort of the season cliffhanger of season two um too young is uh at the at the palace of princess bubblegum who uh listeners of the show and and devotees of adventure time will know that uh princess bubblegum was left rendered a 13 year old girl as a result of an altercation with the lich king so she is a 13 year old girl which makes her exactly the same age as Finn, which very add, convenient. Which adds a ton of new, uh, interesting developments uh, in their relationship, which had previously been flirtatious, I would say, in a certain kind of way. And so now that they are the same age, does that develop? We shall, we will see in this episode, um, and we dive right into that dynamic because Finn is sort of outside the room where Princess Bubblegum is doing some sort of experiment. And he's basically hyperventilating, um, pumping himself up, psyching himself up to go in there. Um, but before he does, he gives a phone call to his friend Jake at home in the treehouse. And he's calling Jake basically for sort of moral support. And Jake's asking how it's going. He knows that Finn's there trying to sort of uh, establish a relationship, a romantic yeah, relationship. Yeah, Jake even characterizes it as a date. Yeah. So he knows what's going on, checking in. He wants to know how it's going. Uh, Finn says, fine, he's about to go in. And Jake says, you know, he gives him some words of support and then, uh, and then, then hangs up. Jake's actually at home playing video games with BMO. Oh man. Great line from BMO here. Yeah. Uh, I actually thought that both of these episodes that we watched this week were very funny throughout. Yeah. Uh, I thought so too. BMO delivers a sweet burn on Jake and his, uh, his video game abilities. Cause I think Jake says like, I think Bimo asks how the how the date's going, and Jake says, "Oh, pretty well. Sounds good." And, and then Bimo's like, "Unlike your game, boy, boy." <laughs> yes, and Jake is very intense on playing Bimo, and I think actually, um, it seems like Finn is kind of calling him for moral support, and probably also I think for advice. Jake does have a girlfriend of his own, and so it makes sense for Finn to give him a call. But predictably, I suppose Jake is preoccupied uh, with what's directly in front of him and doesn't give Finn the most thoughtful advice. We go back to Jake at the end of the episode when his advice is even worse. Yeah. But uh, even at, at this first interaction, he's uh, really just playing BMO and talking to Finn kind of. Uh, he's given him maybe half of his attention at most. Yeah. Uh, but Finn takes Which is it, very Jake. Yeah. Finn takes the advice and 
hangs up the phone and gets psyched up to go in there, decides, you know, just be cool, just be yourself. He, I think he even says, uh, you're 13, she's 13, just be cool. And, yeah. And then he comes, uh, he, he makes his entrance. And so Princess Bubblegum is uh, excited to see him. Um, and they are, she's working on an experiment, uh, some sort of liquid. Uh, this is something Princess Bubblegum does a lot. She's, you know, making potions, making elixirs of different kinds. Uh, and this one she says is a, uh, oh, actually Finn's question to her is, is that a potion that's going to turn you 18 again? Her original age. And, and she says, no, it's actually, um, just a, I think she calls it like a cleaning agent or something like that. Like, yeah, it's it's a bath potion, <laughs> and it makes you sweat cleaning agents. And Finn says, "I don't bathe. I want that." <laughs> right, uh, an amazing solution to never have to bathe again. You just emit cleaning agent. So he gobbles it down. He 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 uh, swallows the whole beaker. But it does not go well because it is so spicy. It is so spicy. He it is one of those uh, classic cartoon. Face turns red because it's just so spice. Yeah, I thought there were a lot of really good kind of classic cartoon gags in this one. Yeah. So he says, uh, it's so spice. But then I think in the the thing that I noticed, all of this is sort of just preamble. The thing that like caught me off guard or like drew my attention in the, the first in this episode was that Princess Bubblegum at this point giggles, runs over to him and holds him. And says, you're so spice. Like, yeah. like playful flirtation with Finn. Things are going pretty well. Yeah. Um, and so that is much different than what their relationship was like before she was young. Yes. But of course, it can't go on like this forever, or else it would be a pretty boring show. So Complications. A, uh, a certain individual arrives at the gates of the castle and gives rise to our conflict. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, what do you think, old lemon grab? What the heck is going on <laughs> with this guy? Um, we'll describe the character, and then I think we'll just talk about what the heck is going on. Um, He's worth discussing in in some depth. Yeah. So, a the Earl of Lemon Grab. Am I saying that way? Is like a B at the end? Yes. Okay. The Earl of Lemon Grab. Lemon Grab. A pun on. Leningrad, I suppose, the city, the actual. Oh yeah, it could be. I don't know. I don't know. That's I couldn't. Whatever. Uh, lemon grab. He's a lemon, guys. Uh, he's he's got the head. He's like a lemon head, like but not sideways. Like the lemon head candy has like a sideways lemon head. He's got a vertical lemon head. Yeah, I've always thought that his head kind of looked like a lemon drop. Yeah, like a lemon drop. Sure. Yeah. And actually, another thing that I noticed here. So. Um... Lemon Grab has a big pointy nose, kind of like Ice King, and I noticed that really not a lot of other characters have noses, and the ones who do have these big, long, pointy noses, and I wonder if that's just because Pendles and Ward never got very good at drawing noses. I, I'd i be fine with that, because I try to draw noses, like, as I, I know that I can't do it. It's, it's a part of the face that, when you add it, never looks right. Until you're good at it. Yeah, it's it's so three-dimensional that basically the only way to accurately depict it is kind of with, like, shading and highlights. And if you're a talentless artist like myself, right. you just end up with some sort of weird squiggles that look like someone got, you know, their their face punched or something. Yeah, it never, never goes well. Adding the nose is always a complication. So either your drawings always have to be facing to the side uh, in profile. Right. They can never face front. Or you just stop drawing noses. Yeah, I think it would be kind of unfair if Pendleton Ward were as clever and talented as he as he is, and also was able to draw noses. That just seems like a sort of you know inequitable distribution of talents. I bet that the I bet in the like in the art world, like when you get your um, masters in art, I bet like one of the disciplines is just nose drawing. I bet that. Do you think that it's one of the tests on those uh, those art schools where you you have to draw a parrot and a pirate or whatever? Right. <laughs> There's just several noses that you have to reproduce in order to uh, get into the for-profit art school. Yeah, I have to imagine because it's it is the test. Uh, I have to go back and look at like Da Vinci stuff now to see what his noses look like. Right. <laughs> maybe he was just maybe he left him out too, and I just never noticed. 
So, uh, Lemon Grab, back to him. He's a piece of work. He is a lemon. He's a human lemon, uh, uh, like a, a sentient lemon person who has a distinct communication style. Uh, <laughs> it is mostly pained screaming, I guess. Is yeah, that's that's a. I think that's about the best way to describe it. He is uh, very worked up a lot of the time, like all the and time. And he has a high pitched squeal in which he elects to express his worked up feelings. Man, it is. Uh, I mean, it's basically the main joke of the whole episode is just how he talks. Um, yes, and getting him to make pained squeal screaming noises is sort of yes. the rest of the episode. Um, but we, so he, he comes barging in and immediately describes the, the palace as being unacceptably dirty, essentially. Yes, it is in unacceptable condition and And unacceptable kind of becomes one of Lemon Grab's catchphrases. Right. And he immediately, uh, declares that everyone involved with that palace needs to spend, I think, something like 30 days in the dungeon. He sends them all to the dungeon. And everyone's kind of confused because everyone's like, what the heck, who's this guy? Uh, Why is he bossing us around? And Princess Bubblegum comes running forward and sort of says, hey, I'm I'm in charge here. Uh, You can't be bossing people around like this. And and Lemon Grab says, no, you're too young, that he is now the ruler of the Candy Kingdom— He's next in line to the throne. Because Princess Bubblegum is now too young to rule, that she would ascend to the throne when when she turns 18 again. Um, And Princess Bubblegum realizes that he's right. And Finn is a bit shocked, but she goes on to describe who this person is and how he came to be. And he's actually... A creation of Princess Bubblegums. She yes. built him Frankenstein style, um, not from old body parts, but she assembled him, I suppose, out of candy flesh mm-hmm. um, and breathed life into him. And when she did, like he immediately, they they do a flashback scene of her in her lab uh, putting the pointy nose on him and then pouring some sort of life toxin into him. And he wakes life toxin, <laughs> and he wakes up. Maybe it's just ayahuasca. <laughs> um, uh, the toxin of life. The toxin of life. Uh, that might be the. Maybe that's the uh, catchphrase for Malort. Actually, I'm not sure. Um, he he, but he wakes up with a pained scream, like as it's sort of like a like why am I why do I exist. Yeah, he does not seem to have a happy existence. And in fact, PB describes him as, if not her very first, then one of her first experiments gone wrong. Right, yeah. Um, Which implies that she's brought life to other things. Mm. um, And that she's a bit of a a necromancer of sorts. I mean, like the very first time we meet her, she's trying to bring the dead back to life. So it's not super surprising. Um, yes, she takes uh, some rather important, uh, even you might say godlike roles upon herself in her own candy kingdom. Right. But she uh, she created him and brought him into life, and his life seems to be nothing but pain in some sense, I suppose. <laughs> um, and I, and I want to talk about that a little bit, but I mean, we can kind of talk about the, the episode. Um, he becomes essentially the new ruler of the of the palace and the candy kingdom. Um, yeah. It's sort of a Santa Claus situation. One of these, uh, one of these things where there's, there's a rule that is, it exists, but we just don't know about it yet. And then he, he asserts it and PB kind of says, yeah, he's right. So because I'm only 13, lemon grab is in charge now. Right. Um, and lemon grab is not a benevolent ruler. He is, no. he is a petty or even competent in any way. Right. He is petty and incompetent and classist and and terrible um and the whole episode uh sort of revolves around uh finn and bubblegum's plan to get him out of there which is basically that their plan is that they will prank him to the point where he wants to leave which Um, is a very 13 year old solution right um 
and I kind of want to I want to we if there's any specific pranks you want to talk about we can but I want to kind of maybe just like fast forward through some of this because I have some questions about lemon grab that I make want to make sure we get to yeah, I, I want to point out the delightful cartoon nature of their first prank, which is a Rube Goldberg machine that ends up just unfurling a piece of paper that informs Lemon Grab that he really smells like dog buns. Right. Um, the pranks are really cute and really good and funny. Um, and and PB and Finn are having a great time together doing them. That's something that is very important to point out. Right. Yeah. I, we can. I think that's the main the main thing is that this is something they're doing together and yes. enjoying each other's company. And the pranks are funny. Um, it culminates with using the the gun that was introduced in the first act of the show. Uh, the gun, which is the uh, spice formula. The, the yeah. She made it even spicier this time. Yeah. And man. When they are in the ceiling, yeah, and she pours the drop, and it gets in Peppermint Butler's eye. I love that part. Yeah, uh, the- <laughs> and he's just is screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I'm laughing thinking about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, they do the old uh, poor Pep Butt is mightily abused in this episode. <laughs> yeah. They do the old uh, hide in the ceiling tiles, which I love that their palace has a drop ceiling. Yes. By the way. <laughs> as like foam ceiling tiles that they can sit up in um and so the pal they're up in there they pull one of the ceiling tiles away and they're gonna drip the spicy food onto lemon grab's meal um and pep butt is the one who's serving it but they miss with the first one and it goes straight into his eye <laughs> and like mid- they, they tell him to sh- be quiet and so he he's just sitting there screaming but then he has to act like there's no reason that he's doing so <laughs> um <laughs> I think it's also funny that Lemon Grab, uh, at, at some point in that scene, he asked Peppermint Butler where food comes from. Yes, and then <laughs> refuses to hear the answer because <laughs> yeah. he's royal and Pep Butt is servile. <laughs> right. And maybe this is a good segue because I want to talk about, like, is how, do we, how are we supposed to view Lemon Grab? Like, is he a victim of his own creation? Or, I think that's a complicated question. Or is like, or is he a, um, you know, does does he has had choices that he can make in his life, and he has chosen to be this way? Or, yeah, I think what you're asking is, can we hate him, or do we have to feel sorry for him? Right, because I think that like that little interaction where he first asks, like, where does food come from, and then <laughs> refuses to answer by by then demeaning peppermint butler uh (laughs) by saying he is servile sort of encapsulates this conundrum that like this is in this is someone who doesn't know why he exists doesn't know his own place in the world doesn't know where food comes from (laughs) but also has chosen to be super super like dickish yeah Um, life to him appears to just sort of be a a horrible series of Right, you know, uh, just painful occurrences, but he he doesn't exactly take a saintly uh, approach to the bad things that happen to him. Right, but it's one of those like, does he, you know, did he ever have a did he ever have a chance? Like with the way he was brought into the world and how he's been forced to live, like, are we supposed to like? Is it basically that we have to feel bad for him because like, well, he where was he supposed to learn how to be decent? Kind of thing. right, yeah. Um, and I, I have to think, I, I think I have to land on like the pity, like we have to pity him. Um, I don't think he is evil like the Lich King. Um, no. And it, I mean, he's not even that powerful either, but I think you have to, I think we have to pity him. I think that's yeah, what he it, just, yeah. he just doesn't have social skills. He's yeah. not evil. He just is not really able to see much past his own nose, right. I think. And, um, Right. Yeah. He he just uh, you know he he can't seem to get along with anyone, and he reacts to people not getting along with him by being even more outlandishly 
awful to them. Mm-hmm. I actually, I'm kind of of two minds about Lemon Grab. He is not one of my very favorite characters. I I tend to think that a lot of the screaming is is a little over the top, but when he tells people, 30 years dungeon, I love that. Yeah. Just the way that he phrases it. Seven years, no trials. <laughs> <laughs> I like... like- I, this is the first time I've encountered him, so I could yes. see I can see the like the scream talking getting old. Um, <laughs> but upon first meeting him, it's a it's it's just weird enough to just be funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I wanted to I I found myself thinking about like, um, you know, how are we supposed to feel about him? Because I think we'll, I want to tie it into the second episode we talk about too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it comes down to like, do we think he had a choice in how he acts? Um, of course he does have a choice, but like, if he never had the chance to learn how to be better, do you have to then, instead of condemning him, do you then instead have to pity him essentially? Yeah. I think you, you certainly at least need to be patient with him uh-huh. and, um, probably <laughs> viciously pranking him to get him to go away is not the best way to deal with a uh, over-the-top dramatic screamer. <laughs> to that And to that end, like, uh, Princess Bubblegum, like, literally is his mother in a way. Like, yeah. But, right? And, um, but describes him as a failed experiment and basically kicked him out of the kingdom. Yeah, so again, you know, he didn't stand much of a chance from the very beginning. Yeah. There's got to be, you know, if he's laying down on a therapist's couch, he's got a lot to unpack. Yes, he does. But, you know, like, I think it also reflects on Princess Bubblegum, like how she is, how she uh-huh. views him is uh, is worth noting, I think. Um, yes. As part of her, how we understand her character. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so... Back to the plot line. The series of pranks, while funny, does not drive Lemongrad away. In fact, it results in Princess Bubblegum and Finn also being thrown in the dungeon. Yes, he eventually just throws everyone in the dungeon. The pranks have gotten over the top. Yeah. Uh, he <laughs> recovers from the spice by sucking on Pep Butt yep. and then throws everyone into the dungeon, uh, seemingly kind of indefinitely. Yeah. I think the sentence is a million years, but that's, you know, a little unrealistic. Right. Who's going to be around to enforce that? Um, so now we have uh, the prison scene, and they're all sort of moping around in jail in the prison, uh, the dungeon that is. And Finn is Finn is undeterred. Finn is still on the path that like just one more prank will probably get it done. Um, yes, and I think he just says like I think we need to set fire to his butt was like his <laughs> was his next prank. Um, but Princess Bubblegum has realized that um, there is actually only one course of action that can be taken. Yeah. And, and she reveals that um, she's been avoiding it um, because the one course of action that will get rid of Lemongrad is by turning her back to be 18, which will restore her to the throne. But she uh, admits to Finn that she had been trying to avoid that plan because she had been enjoying her time with him so much. Yeah, and and also she says um she says being a being a kid is boobalooby or something like that and right. kind of explains that when she's 18 years old and in charge of running a kingdom she doesn't get to act like a kid very often and so she does seem to really have been enjoying herself uh getting to run around the castle pull some pranks and also I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Finn is there with her and they are getting on famously. Yeah. And so both of them are uh, very, very, I think, sad that this has to happen. But uh, and, and Finn is a little resistant at, at very first, but he eventually realizes that this is, this is what we have to do. It's for the best. Um, so she explains how she can become 18 again. Uh, and basically, she just needs to absorb more candy material. I think she calls it candy flesh. Um, yes. If she absorbs enough of it, it will age her essentially. Um, and so, yeah, which makes sense. I think the nurse, uh, in the episode where she turns 13 says, well, we didn't have enough material to make her back the way she was. And so when they don't have enough material, she's 13. Right. And so if she can just, uh, kind of rebuild her body mass, then she'll become 18 again. Right. 
so her idea is she needs to get to her lab to generate to to biologically engineer some candy flesh for herself. So she starts trying to think through that, but then uh, Pep Butt pipes in and says, uh, "Princess, that won't be necessary." And he proceeds to break a hunk of himself off and offer it to her. Uh, yeah, all of a in sudden a we got a bunch of moment. candy Jesuses in jail. Yeah, they are all this. They do a whole "This is my body" moment, and uh, they all break off a piece and offer it to her. And that is a powerful moment, I thought. I mean, that is... Yes. And she she is touched. She is amazed that they would do that. I don't know what the implications are for the candy people who break a piece off like that. Like, if it regenerates eventually or if it's permanent. Uh, it's not discussed. But she, now she has, the, now she has the, the candy mass that she needs, but she needs to be able to adhere it to herself. And that's where Finn comes in. <laughs> Yeah, she says, I need a bonding agent, and Finn gets a bright idea, and uh, out comes his tongue. Yes. Um, he starts licking each piece of candy and sticking it to Princess Bubblegum. And creates sort of a large Carmen Miranda-style headdress yes. yeah, that's for PB exactly right. out of candy flesh. Yes. Uh, so they've they've built her back up. She has enough... Uh, enough candy flesh, enough body mass now, mm-hmm. but there's one last thing that needs to happen to sort of catalyze the effect. Yes, the catalyst is the heat of a love hug, I think. A whopping love hug. A whopping love hug. I knew there was another adjective in there that I had missed. Uh, a whopping love hug. The heat of a lo- whopping lo- love hug will uh, will catalyze the, uh, the reagents and make her 18. And so... She extends her arms to Finn. Finn extends her arms to to her. They're both blushing. They're very much both blushing. They embrace and they kiss. And in that instant, she is restored to 18. And Finn is then left standing, holding her waist because she's now um, significantly taller than him again. Back to her old self. And she kind and of immediately her pushes. personality also yeah. immediately changes. Yep, she immediately goes back to the way she was before, which is affectionate but standoffish to him, affectionate but sort of distant, and pushes him away, not in an angry way, but just sort of like ex- with body language says like, "Okay, that's done now." Yeah, she says, "Excuse me, Finn." Yeah, and <laughs> she walks to the window and screams. <laughs> And screams to Lemongrad, like, hey, Lemongrab, you're fired, you butt. Yep. And uh, so his butt did get set on fire. Uh, his butt was fired. Oh, Which, yeah. I didn't even notice that. Nice, uh, nice uh, connection. Yep. Um, he, and he screams. He's just like not even in the scene. He's just like off. You just hear his voice off in the distance. He yes. screams in pain uh, in frustration. And then in the next scene... We see Princess Bubblegum and Finn sitting on the steps of the palace. They're out of the they're out of the dungeon. Lemon Grab is sulking away on his lemon horse camel. Yeah, which that that thing also probably has a very very sad existence. Yeah, um, and is it? Are there more lemon? I I don't know. And we you know you can't tell me yet. But like he. I can't tell if he's going back to some area. Like, the, the existence of the lemon horse makes me think that there are other lemon creatures, um, that sh- that he is not the only one, but it's not discussed in this episode. Yeah, he's called the Earl of Lemon Grab, so it's at least implied that he's got, you know, sort of a an estate somewhere. Right. Um, he's, he's, a, he's among the landed gentry, um, <laughs> but he is, he sulks away. He's been disposed of, and... Finn and uh, Princess Bubblegum are having a poignant moment on the steps of the palace as the sun sets. And Finn asks her if, um, sheepishly rather, sheepishly, if she wants to hug some more. Yeah, and this is, I think, after she says, you know, thank you so much. I, mm-hmm. I really appreciate what you did. And he says, well, yeah, do you do you want to hug some more? And that does uh, not have the desired effect. No, she stands up and laughs it off. And says, oh, Finn, that was so five years ago. Um, You need to move on. And I think he even says, "Uh, little boy. 
I think she says, uh, you need to not, not derogatory or silly boy, I think is what she says as she walks. Yeah, something like that. As she walks out of the picture, she says, you need to move on and then kind of giggles again and walks away and says like, silly boy. And I think that really drives the final dagger home. Like he is a boy in her eyes again. Yeah. Um, not her equal, not a romantic interest for her. And Finn's pretty crushed. And it's heartbreaking. He calls his bro, uh, who Jake has been at the treehouse playing video games this whole time, so he doesn't know what went what what went down. So Jake asks how it went, and Finn says, "I got dumped." And Jake is sympathetic, but like you said, is not quite paying a hundred percent attention. And so he gives him some advice about like how to win the heart of a princess and how. It's going to require persistence and it kind of starts out sounding like, you know, like it's going to be sound advice, but then it's revealed that he's really just sort of narrating what he's doing in a video game. Yeah. Um, but Finn takes it to heart and yeah, I love, love the ending of this episode. Yeah. It's... Uh, the last thing that, that Jake says to him is you walk up the wizard's steps and you find the princess and you give her a big kiss and Finn hangs up the phone and he kind of sighs and glances up over his shoulder where he sees pb in the tower of the castle her hair blowing in the wind and he just kind of says to himself up the wizard steps yep and then boom we cut away to the credits um so many times this show i think that it's largely a function of it being so compact the the endings just you know they say leave them wanting more and so many of the endings of this show just leave me going oh man I mean, it's such a moment when he says, walk up the wizard steps. Like, it's nonsense, but it just seems so touching somehow. Right. And the way that he looks wistfully over his shoulder. I love the ending of this episode. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, but it does bring closure to the Princess Bubblegum being young story arc. Mm -hmm. um, so that has been tied up with a bow. Uh, maybe left a little bit open. I mean, clearly Finn is still pining for her and maybe is formulating a grand plan in his head of like how he's going to continue to win her. Um, but for now that chapter closes and yeah, great episode, really funny. Lemon grab is an annoying, but funny character and interesting <laughs> too. I mean, I really do find him interesting in like, yes, the complexities of his life and how you're supposed to feel about him. Um, I, I don't have much more to say. I think there's, uh, a, all in all, a good episode. Really good episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought this was a, a really good episode. And I really like the next one we're going to talk about as well. Yeah. Um, episode six in season three is a uh, LSP-centric episode, which means we're probably going to like it. And this one's called The Monster. The Monster. Uh, Finn and Jake are sitting around at home, rapping, doing a cool... They've got like a cool song they're singing. Really, really cool song. Like another one of those nice little music drops in the show that are short, but... Uh, just really nice, like a really yeah. Cool... They're they're walking around and actually they're they're harmonizing. Mm -hmm. Wah 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 wah. Yeah. It's fantastic. It is great, but they uh their their music making is interrupted by an emissary from Lumpy Space, which I just came up with that phrase in my mind and I love it. An emissary, from, <laughs> an emissary from Lumpy Space. But that's what he is. He is a uh, a messenger bringing a holographic message from the king and queen of lumpy space and they are distraught because their daughter lumpy space princess is missing and they are entreating finn and jake to please help them find their daughter and uh finn and jake immediately accept finn tries to calm them and soothe them and assure them that they can they are capable of finding their daughter um, because of Jake's big muscles, and Woo! yeah, he makes he says Finn's, show, show Finn's me little woos, man. Yeah. Oh, they they just kill me. They're so hilarious. Show me the show me your muscles, Jake. And Jake uses his expandable powers to make one enormous bicep. Uh, yeah, and Finn, whoa, <laughs> is, is it's so like weird and random, but it's just it's it's totally in keeping with his character. Except yeah. I don't think that he ever does it again. But it's just like so cute and hilarious. Yeah. I love it. The weirdest hype man in the world, um, <laughs> but it does certainly assure and assuage the fears of the king and queen of Lumpy Space. They asked him. They asked the boys to give uh, some sandwiches to LSP when they find her, 
uh, as sort of a token of their love. And Get a picnic basket full of them. Yep. And so uh, they they set off on their little quest. They're not too uh, worried about completing their task because they're both kind of, uh, they both say, oh, they don't say this to the king and queen, but to themselves, they kind of go, well, we know where she is. We She's in the Sleeping in she's, wood. she's in the woods eating beans, uh, <laughs> um, because uh, if folks remember, they did encounter Lumpy Space Princess in the uh, one of the pr- one of the first episodes of this season, where uh, or was it? Yeah, was it this season? No, I can't remember. It's it's the episode where Marceline and the ghosts gang are messing with Finn and Jake. Yeah. And I can't remember, was that season three or was that towards the end of season two now? I think it's actually. I want to say it's season two, but I, I'm not, I, I I'm actually not it, entirely sure. I think it was actually that final, like, kind of throwaway episode of season two. I think it was that very last yes, episode. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, so it is, uh, we, they encountered her in the woods where Finn and Jake thought they had vampire powers and were invisible. And they were messing with Lumpy Space Princess in her sort of hobo camp where she was eating beans. Um <laughs> So basically, they're like, well, based on that knowledge, we know where she is. That's where we're at in this episode. So they're just kind of walking through the woods. They're going to go find Lumpy Space Princess at her camp in the woods to give her the sandwiches and get her home. Um, but before they get there, they are interrupted by a small person falling from a tree. Um, and I can't really, I don't know, person is weird to describe because this is, this thing, this creature probably would come up, is like knee height on like an average human, I would say. Yes. Uh, They are bipedal, but they are very small and round. Yeah. Kind of like bowling pin shaped in a, in a certain way or like snowmen with only two snowballs. I maybe. Yes. Um, but anyway, with legs and not made of snow. So, you know, nothing like snowmen and they (laughs) are, um, (laughs) this falls out of the tree and, uh, they kind of say like, Whoa, where'd you come from? And, and he said, a monster attacked my village and I ran or something. He gives the story of that he's running from a monster. The and, monster's eating all their crops. Right. And that he was up in the tree because he thought he saw some food. Yeah. And he and, then he uh, just pr- pr- is, is chewing on uh, their own sock. Yeah. The, the character, I should say, is voiced by Maria Bamford. Yes, I think all of the little round folks are. Yeah, we'll get to, yes, we will eventually meet basically all the members of this this guy's village. <laughs> Including and, Howard. <laughs> and they are all, uh, they are all voiced by Maria Bamford hilariously. Um, none of these, none of these, uh, none of these little guys appear to be all that capable on their own. No. Um, it, it does require a village to keep them alive, apparently. Because more and more of them start falling out of the trees. Like, they're all, for whatever reason, up in trees and all falling out of them. Um, So we eventually quickly meet, like, five or six of them in rapid succession falling from trees. And each one of them contains, like, a small piece of information that will help them get back to their own village. Uh, Each of Like, there are a couple of them that each have a half of the map to the village. Right. Like, none of them could have gotten back on their own. Um, But fortunately, they, they find each other again. And so now there's this little gaggle of like six or seven of these little guys, um, all uh, sort of writhing with hunger pains because they're so hungry that they because the monster ate their crops. They're uh, very needy. They're very needy. And they find out that Jake and Finn have a basket of sandwiches and get really excited. But Finn, dis- Finn explains that they, the food isn't theirs to give, so they can't have it. Um, I also really enjoy when they say, what's in the basket? And Jake goes, sandwiches. Yeah. Uh, my favorite line they deliver of the whole, of the whole thing is... When when they're about to head off to the village, um, one of them goes like, mm, carry me <laughs> like this like <laughs> weird like mm, sound. I don't know. It just tickled me. Uh, mm, carry me. And <laughs> so Finn, and, Finn ends up carrying, I think, all of them to yes. to the village. They are too famished to walk back to their own village. Yeah. So they're heading back with Finn and Jake so that. Finn and Jake, they're they're kind of doing a little side quest on their search for LSP, and they're going to go help these folks get rid of the monster so that their crops will no longer be stolen, and they will have food for themselves and their children. Right. Uh, so they get back to the village, and the little villagers point to a windmill at the top of the hill, and they say that the monster lives in there. So Finn and Jake say, have no fear, we'll we'll take care of this for you. And they Ever the brave adventurers. They set the little guys down and, and head on up to the windmill, 
um, and arm themselves, get ready for a fight. Finn's got a little crooked dagger, and Jake Jake once again pops out the bicep. Finn, woo! Yep. <laughs> uh, Finn, Finn woos appreciatively, and they creep on in, and we see a we see the the shot kind of reverses from the back of the room of the of the windmill interior and. Finn and Jake are creeping in from the from the door on the other side of the room, and we see uh, something breathing and sleeping under some covers. Finn creeps up with his dagger ready, and as he throws off the covers, the monster rears its head and starts screaming, and Finn starts screaming, but the monster's not a monster. It's LSP. It is LSP. There she is. We found her. Bum, bum, bum. Finn actually first says... Were you in here, like, hanging out with the monster? I think he says making out with the monster. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He does. <laughs> like, were you in here making out with the monster? And LSP says, no, she is the monster. She has been living in the woods for too long, and then she stumbles upon this village and decides that uh, if she acts like a monster, she's able to chase the villagers away, and then she has, in fact, been eating all of their crops. No, something else happened first. That's right. <laughs> so then LSP launches into her backstory. She yeah. she tells the story of running away from home, which she does just as a horrible as the horrible teenager that she is. Her uh <laughs> mom and dad invite her over and they ply her with sandwiches and then when they say, "Well, maybe you could spend more time over here." She decides that they have had an ulterior motive. Yeah. And so she's going to run away. Yep. She uh she is horrified at the thought that they would invite her there for sandwiches just to talk about spending time with them. And so she runs off from Lumpy Space and she describes her journey from that point on. Um, she ends up in the woods, <laughs> tired and hungry, after probably like an hour, frankly. Um, yeah, who, who knows? knows? But she's like already reduced to like trying to eat bark off of trees. Which causes her to vomit rainbows. Right. In classic melodramatic fashion, it starts raining on her. Uh, she tries to make a shelter out of nuts, which, go, <laughs> frankly, like her attempt went very well for basic for what it was, like a pile of nuts. Uh, yeah, she got a solid like three seconds of that shelter standing up, and it was just built out of acorns. Yeah. Uh, but it 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 is quickly falls apart, and so uh, she's left lying on the forest floor, staring up into the rain, crying, uh, asking, you know, or bemoaning. That it isn't fair. She's feeling very sorry for herself. And while she's lying there, she doesn't even have the strength to do anything when a family of wolves finds her and the mother wolf picks her up in her jaws and carries her back to their den. And as she just, as Lumpy Space Princess describes it, the wolves take her in as one of their own. Uh, so... <laughs> I mean, I'll pause here. Um, so we have Lumpy Space Princess being found in the woods by canines and being adopted into their family. Yes. It is a very melodramatic version of Finn's life, I would say. Sure, yeah. Uh, a little bit of a... And Mowgli's. A little bit of a parallel. Yeah, and Mowgli's, indeed. But uh, so so now she's, she's living with the wolves. She's one, she's one with them. Um and she says that she had they they immediately took to her um she yes. describes the mother wolf as saying like we must have her we, she must be part of our family and the father wolf she's such a special girl yeah, the father wolf this is a special child who needs special love <laughs> um uh she will grow to be amazing <laughs> and finn goes oh so they were talking wolves and she says like no i I could I could tell from their body language. <laughs> so at this point, I think it becomes clear that LSP is more or less making up what these wolves are saying to her. Yeah. They they are not talking wolves yeah. by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, things seem to be going well. But then, of course, it's LSP. So she says, and then the drama started. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she witnesses one wolf cub cleaning another wolf cub. Uh, <laughs> and she has named them all. <laughs> Uh, so she's, she's like, I can't remember the names. Well, she's like, Stephanie, what are you doing with Susan, <laughs> or something like that? It's, it's why, why are you, why are you cheating on Tony? <laughs> yeah. um, and so then she runs off to two other wolves 
who are sleeping. And this is my favorite scene of the whole episode when she is like <laughs> freaking out about this uh, perceived uh, social drama that uh, in imagined social drama. She's she's pouring her heart out to these wolves, and the one is just like panting and like looking around. (laughs) It's just the perfect dog noise, like wolf noise. It's just like this uninterested panting. And LSP is very upset that they are not having the dramatic reaction that she was hoping for. Yeah, um, and she keeps just ratcheting it up the imagined tension um, in her own mind, and like the rest of the wolf pack comes back from hunting. Uh, apparently Tony is one of the wolves that came back and she can't <laughs> hold in this secret any longer. <laughs> and then finally in the middle of the cave just screams, Tony, Stephanie's cheating on you. Uh, <laughs> and one of the wolves growls at her, which I think just is like, he didn't like the loud shouting basically, but she thinks that it's like, She's she's having a conversation, a one-sided conversation with them all, imagining their yes. imagining their responses uh for them. And it says, you know, it's like, well, I just thought you deserved to know. And <laughs> and then another one got kind of growls, and then another one licks her, sort of like to maybe to calm her down, perhaps. And she slaps it away and says, Don't cheat on me too with me too. Yeah, don't cheat on Jessica with me. <laughs> so, and that I think is the final slight. Uh, she has struck a member of the pack, and at that point, the entire pack turns on her, and she is no longer welcome in the den. No, and they all pounce on her and start trying to eat her. Um, but she's a little more rubbery and less biteable than I imagined her to be. Uh, she kind of es- es- escapes and runs screaming off into the onto the into the woods while the pack chases her and she's not looking where she's going. And she ends up sliding down a very steep embankment into a mud puddle. And now she is again, homeless and very hungry and very tired and haggard and covered in mud and sticks. And that is when that's right. And that is when she meets, uh, comes upon the villagers and their crops. And they all immediately see a giant floating stick mud monster and run away screaming monster and she's frankly too tired to really even understand what's happening. But all she sees is the fresh produce and just starts eating and eating and eating. Whatever has happened, it has worked out for LSP. Right. And that is where she concludes her st- story and tells Finn and Jake that now she lives in the windmill and whenever she gets hungry, she dresses up again like the monster and goes to eat all their crops. Finn and Jake are appalled, of course, and... This tell, is a definite violation of their moral code. Yeah, and so she, they tell her that she needs to go apologize and make amends, which she seems kind of willing to do. I think she's kind mm-hmm. of feeling trapped in her little lie. Um, so they said, no, it'll be fine. Just say you're sorry. So she sheepishly comes down out of the windmill. The villagers are, hor- are terrified because they see the monster coming, and LSP screams that no she's not the monster and she starts kind of crying and says like i was just faking um and then um gives like the worst apology in the history of apologies i think at some point she she even says uh i think at the 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 funniest point is when she says like uh i'm sorry i ate your crops even though i probably did you a favor because you're so fat (laughs) And I was just helping you lose weight. Yeah. And then the villagers are kind of like, did she just call us fat while she was apologizing? Uh, and that, that they kind of turn into an angry mob at that point. Yeah. Um, and Finn, Finn tells her that apology was terrible. Yeah. Um, actually, this is something that I wanted to uh, talk to you about. Apologizing, I think, is actually a, it's sort of a skill that, that people have to learn. And I don't know at what age a person really learns how to sincerely apologize. Like what, what's Dave's kind of stance on apologies right now? Um, I, I think you learn empathy very young. Um, okay. Which really is the most important part of apologizing. Right. I mean, you learn, it's definitely a, de- it's definitely a, de- a developmental step. Um, 
in a young kid's life to learn to recognize the feelings of others, recognize that someone else is sad, for example. Yes. And, and then to then, if you are the one who caused the sadness, um, to understand and empathize with that person and feel bad about it is another development is a developmental milestone. Um, I think it happens pretty early. Um, now, There's probably forced gr- apologies, apologies as punishment, yeah. which happens sometimes, and it's kind of that's kind of what's happening to LSP here. Those are always less sincere, right? And I, I think that those, but I think that you learn. I, I think you learn the feeling of of feeling sorry pretty early on, and then, mm-hmm. but then learning to um, understand, like to to accept blame, self, yeah, like, to, to to accept blame, and not only accept blame, but like uh on your own accept blame and and be willing to take a step to to rectify that that is that's a that's a sign of maturity like that doesn't happen i don't think really in full until like there are adults that still work on that yes right i'm sorry that you were offended right right um i see your side of this and how my actions have hurt you and i'm willing to accept blame um is a definite sign of maturity. So I don't know what age that happens, but it is part of... It has of, not happened to LSP yet. No, it is not. It, I don't think... Uh, I don't think... Uh, yeah, that kind of accepting of blame and uh, mature outlook is is indicative of LSP or many teenagers, for that example, for that reason, for that, um, for that matter, that is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so she doesn't apologize well at all. It includes an insult to the people she was apologizing to. <laughs> uh, um, and and then when they the, complain about her having eaten all their crops, she says, why don't you just have your parents buy you more? Right. Um, and I think the other part, like when they get offended that she calls them fat, um, she does a very classic um, deflection technique, I think, among teenagers, but also just like immature people of like, uh, why are you getting so upset? I'm just telling the truth. Yeah, like, I'm just being honest. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Yeah, that's the line. I'm just being honest. Oh man, that like it just like hit me so hard. Like, oh, that is such a classic like deflection of like you can't get mad at me for being honest. You know, right? Even though it was cruel, what I said. Right. Yeah, and honest in this case, of course, is totally subjective, and it is. It's one of those like, well, being honest is a virtue. It's sort of like it's like that twisting logic of that like uh, of that sentence of that sentiment is such a yeah. Uh, it's like it's like honesty is the only virtue. Like knowing when to keep your mouth shut is not a virtue. The only virtue we need to worry about is honesty. And so yeah, anything yeah. that I say that I truly believe, right, uh, I'm not culpable for having said it. Right. Yeah. Compassion. Uh, other things are not virtues. <laughs> only truth. Right. Only truth. It's like the judge dread version of morality. Like there is only the law. Uh, and um, <laughs> the... Uh, I don't even know where we went. Oh, yeah. The, then they, she says, why don't your family... Why don't your parents just buy you food? And they inform her that they, in fact, are parents. Right. And, and however this happens, that sentence makes her feel finally like breaks through to her in some way. Um, because she says your parents, just like my parents are parents. <laughs> and then she sees in the basket, a little note from her mom or dad. I don't know who, but probably I think mom was implied, um, saying that they love her and, uh, they lump and love her actually. And want her to come home and she tears up, uh, sees the error of her ways, uh, Im- you know, becomes immediately homesick and uh, and apologizes sincerely this time, uh, gives the villagers their sam- her sandwiches, uh, mm-hmm. makes amends in that way, uh, and then rushes home to her family. And so we then end in lumpy space and the uh, the lumpy space royal family has been reunited um, they are thanking Finn and Jake. Lumpy Space Princess looks to to be back to herself in that she, I think she then says, and that's how I saved the village. <laughs> um, because she gave them sandwiches. Uh, so she has not learned a lesson, I don't think. 
uh, or at least does not seem to be uh, revealing that she has learned a lesson in any way. Yeah, it didn't it didn't seem to stick with her if she no. ever learned anything. No, uh, not that we would expect it to. Finn and Jake, uh, or the, the, the king and queen thank Finn and Jake profusely. And Jake says, yeah, no problem, but we didn't do much. And that's where we, <laughs> that's the episode ending line. Um, yep. Just, uh, so anyway, a very funny episode through and through. Yes. Uh, a lot of good lines from uh, Lumpy Space Princess. Um, with with the quick remainder of time we have, I did want to talk about like a comparison of this I thought that what we had in these two episodes were two main characters committing acts of atrocities is too strong of a word, but like committing acts of immorality. Yes. Um, And, but I think two distinct um, feelings we're supposed to have about them, where if we think about lemon grab and his, his actions uh, of how he treated the people of the candy kingdom, and then Lumpy Space Princess and her actions of how she treated these villagers, both are examples of making choices of very of selfishness and things like that. Um, but I thought that we saw, uh, you know, I think we're supposed to have two different interpretations. Uh, clearly, Lumpy Space Princess is a hundred percent in the wrong for what she did, whereas I think we already discussed Lemon Grab. Uh, while he is annoying and not a great person, we kind of have to pity him because he never he was never given the chance to learn to be that to be better. Uh, so I think that we just maybe by coincidence in the fact that we watch these two in this, in this episode, like, I don't know if there was a conscious uh, decision by the showrunners to put these two episodes side by side, but I don't know. I, th- I found some interesting parallels that were uh, kind of nice to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that lemon grab is less culpable for his behavior. Uh, it's certainly, you certainly have to think more before you can start to blame Lemon Grab for anything. LSP, you know, maybe her parents, her parents probably spoiled her. That seems kind of clear, but uh, she takes that that spoiled ball and and runs with it. Yeah, uh, two two results of flawed upbringings, sure, or but... just creation followed by abandonment right, slash yeah. exile. <laughs> flawed flawed upbringing is a is a very generous term to describe how <laughs> Lemon Grab's life has gone. But either way, I just thought it was interesting that we had those two together today in this episode. Yeah. Um, a nice little, two nice little uh, pairings. So um, all in all, like them both. Um, I was going to say maybe, the, I forgot to at the start of the episode, I think I have started, if I were to describe where my fandom is at right now, mm-hmm. um, the show has started to feel very familiar to me. Um, it is no longer, I don't feel like an outsider of the mm-hmm. show anymore. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. I don't feel like I am observing a show that I'm not a part of or that I'm not invested in. I, I at some point here, I can't really point to when it happened. Um, but I feel comfortable in the show. Now I feel comfortable sitting down to watch it and like jumping right in with the characters. And it's no longer, uh, I'm, I no longer have it at arm's length, I guess. Um, so I would say that that is a, indication that i am certainly moving towards fandom in 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 many respects so i think that's where i'm at right now i like that you are feeling familiar with the show but there are still all kinds of little uh nuggets that you get to pick up and the world just keeps getting bigger and bigger and there are things that you're still learning even if you you know you've watched a lot of episodes of this show by now yeah um yeah, I've watched more episodes than the average non-fan, I would say. <laughs> That's certainly true. And I don't know that we talked about it. I, this maybe we can maybe talk about it in the next episode too. But I, from our conversation that we had in our sort of short semi-episode, um, the last one we put out here, we were talking about how the backgrounds of these shows are full of details. And I will say, in this episode, I did notice when they meet the villagers in the woods. Mm-hmm. The background, the background scenery not only is filled with woods and trees, but there are more like ruins of civilization. I think there's like a rusted like back end of a car with like a license plate. Yes, uh, it looks some, like the ruins of our civilization. Right, exactly. Yeah, pieces of machinery, pieces of just like technology that we would recognize as modern and of our era. Um, so yep. that kind of stuff is, and I, I, I've, I'm now 
looking for that kind of stuff just to see how much of it is present. And I think my guess is that I'll see a lot of it, but the, uh, the, the clues and the, the background of this world is, is always being filled with detail. Yep. The world's getting built and I'm still excited for it to, uh, keep getting built for you. Yeah, me too. So we'll watch two more next time and, and, uh, and see what, see what I learned, see what everyone learns. Yeah, we'll be back with two new episodes uh, next week to talk about. Um, but before we go, of course, I have to say thank you to my good friend, Will Yates. He is the fantastic electronic musician who allows us to use his song Date Night for our intro and outro music. That's off of his EP, I Know the Feeling. Head over to willyates.bandcamp.com and you can pay what you want for I Know the Feeling and another newer EP. Uh, we also encourage you to... Shout at us on the internet. We are on Twitter at PodVentureTime. We've got a Facebook page. Uh, and we also have a Facebook group called the Treehouse Treasure Room, where Ben is doing a great job of keeping up the latest theories in his metaverse. You are uh, going to update it this week, you think? Yeah, I think I've got a lot to talk about now. Great. So come check that out. You can find us on all kinds of uh, podcast places, Stitcher, Google Play, Podknife. If uh, you use any of those services or Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate it if you tossed us a, a rating and even better, a review uh, that will um, help us come up in searches or whatever. I don't know. It, it should uh, help us get more listeners. And, you know, then you can say that you knew us when. Yep, that's right. Uh, we appreciate all the interactions we have with, with folks online and uh, really love that you're listening to the show. So please do, please do send us a line. We will definitely get back to you. Uh, we love chatting with you. Yep. And if we hear from you in between now and when we come back, we'll talk about you on the next episode of What This Has Been. I've been Pat. I've been Ben. And this has been Podventure Time. Easy as childbirth. <laughs>